Well, good morning. Can we all stand? Why don't you turn to someone around you, tell them it's good to see them this morning.
Amen. How many blessed people do we have in the house today? Come on, won't the rest of you join us? Come on, let's give God some praise in his house this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Turn around to somebody and tell them something nice or say something nice or tell them they look nice or you're glad to see them. It's good to be in God's house. To all of our guests, we welcome you. If this is your first or second or third time, thank you for being here this morning. We do appreciate you being with us and you're our guest. We are honored to have you. To anyone watching online, we appreciate you watching online. If you have your Bibles, let's all go to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> this humor that I'm fixing to tell you, please do not take it personal. It's just humor. It's just to make you smile, okay? So don't take it any other way than just pastor likes to see you smile. That's it. All right, everybody good? So a blonde driving a car <laughs> became lost in a snow in a in a snowstorm. She didn't panic, however, because she remembered what her dad once told her. If you ever get stuck in a, in a snowstorm, just wait for a snowplow to come by and follow it. Sure enough, pretty soon a snowplow came by and she started following it. And she started to follow the plow for about 45 minutes. Finally, the driver of the truck got out and asked her what she was doing. And she explained that her dad said that if she ever got stuck in a, in a snowstorm to follow a plow. Well, the driver nodded and said, well, I'm done with the Walmart parking lot. Do you want to follow me over to Best Buy? <laughs> it's just humor. That's all. Don't take offense. Second Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 17. If you have it, say amen. Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I want to just talk to you this this morning on here's my title your ministry your message your ministry your message I want you to look at three people and tell them you have a ministry and you have a message tell them please you have a ministry and you have a message you have a ministry and you have a message. Didn't our praise team and worship team do a great job this morning? 
our media, our sound. Thank all of you. Thank all of you. We appreciate it from our heart. Father, for the next few moments, I know we've had a busy week. Lord, we, we rush to get up so we can rush to get dressed, so we can rush to go to work, and we rush to get home so we can rush to eat, rinse, and repeat. God, we can find ourselves rushing to come to church to check it off our list so that we can go on about our day. But Lord, we're here. So would you help us to be here? Help us to be here for the next 35 minutes with our mind, our spirit, and our body in unison to receive the seed of your word. Let it lodge deep within, Lord, our hearts so that it may bear forth much fruit in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say amen. amen. I bless you. If you're going to help me preach, you can be seated. If you're not, just remain standing. I love it when I get 100%. You just said you're going to help me. What I'm about to tell you this morning is very important. I want you to listen up. If you're with me, say amen. What I am fixing to tell you is extremely important. Are you ready? You've got to figure out where you're going to get your primary identity. You've got to figure it out. Because I'm going to tell you what this culture says. The culture says that you are valuable based off of your performance. And if you help your company uh, increase their quarterly profits and you help your company add value, then guess what? You're valuable because of your performance. And you have to make sure that you understand that you are valuable not just based off of your performance. Here's the next thing that this culture says is that you are valuable based off of your possessions. And can I tell you, you can, you can have the latest handbag and you can, you can wear the nicest uh, name brand clothes and drive, you know, a car that's, that's got a nice name to it. But I hope that you understand you're way more valuable than what you possess. That is not your identity. And then if those two don't get you, especially to our youth, hear me, what, what, what the culture says is that you're valuable based off of your popularity. If you have a lot of people following you on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook, then you are popular and you are, quote, an influencer. I'm here to just tell you that if you're going to base yourself and your identity off of your popularity, you're going to be on a roller coaster ride. Because there's going to be some weeks that people like you and some weeks that people don't. I would encourage you to tell me who was on the cover of People magazine two weeks ago. You can't even tell me. Because people come and people go, but Jesus comes and stays. You can be a hero one minute and a zero the next. But with God, you're always his child. Can I get a witness this morning? Or you can decide... You know, you're valuable based off of your political party. Can I just remind you, you, you need to hear this. Can I remind you that you're not going to take your political party to heaven? Thank God there's not going to be politics in heaven. Can I get a witness, somebody? 
You're not going to take politics into heaven. You might say, well, pastor, I'm valuable because I helped run our plant over in Sulphur or Lake Charles. Or you can say, pastor, I'm valuable because I'm an engineer or a conductor on a train. Or you can say, pastor, I'm valuable because I'm a stay-home mom. And guess what? All of those things are great. They truly are. But know this, they're all labels. And you're not going to take a label into heaven. I said, you're not going to take a label into heaven. You might say, well, I'm Pentecostal. Or, well, I'm Baptist. Or, well, I'm Presbyterian. Guess what? Those are labels. And you're not going to take a label into heaven. I told you all this humor, but I'd love to make you smile. Here's the humor. So a guy uh, goes to heaven. He gets to heaven. Peter uh, walks in by this room, 203, and he says, just whatever you do, be real quiet by 203. He says, okay. So a Presbyterian comes to heaven, and uh, Peter walks in by 203, and he says, whatever you do, be quiet by 203. He said, okay. So in comes a Baptist. Peter says, listen, just be real quiet when you walk by 203. He said, really? Why? What's 203? He said, well, that's the Pentecostals room and they think they're the only ones who made it. And that's really how the Pentecostals feel is that we're the only ones who make it. But I read Revelation 7 and 9. Revelation 7 and 9 says they're going to be there out of every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, and every language. And they're going to be standing before the throne. And they're going to be worshiping. Come on. Don't you take that label that I'm a Pentecostal. Because guess what? You're going to leave that label at the door. Unless you are born again of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It don't matter what label you wear. What matters are you born again of the water and of the spirit. Can I get a witness in this house? Well, here's what you're going to take into heaven. You're going to take into heaven your relationship with God your personal character and the relationships that you had with others. And you and I have got to decide what is going to be our primary identity. What's it going to be? I highly recommend that you put your identity in something that isn't going to just be here, but is going to last past this life. Are you with me? Amen. Here's a thought. Why not allow your identity to be, I am a child of God. I am not my performance. I am not what I possess. I am not my popular based off of who thinks I'm good and I'm not my political party. I am a child of God. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. I am a peculiar people that he has. He has not I did. He found me. I didn't find him. I was lost. He found me and he took us out of darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. Can you say amen? Well, about a month ago today, we buried my father, 86 years of age in Cleveland, Texas. Had a lot of people there and I had a number of my friends, buddies, ministers, 
saints of God who came up to me and said, Wayne, how many of you think was at your father's funeral? I said, I, I don't know. I know that we helped build that church and the church that we helped to build would seat 600. And so many said, well, we think there was probably at least 500 at your father's funeral, not including those who came to visitation. So I think it'd be safe to say between five, six, 700 people came through um, that particular evening to honor uh, my dad. And I got to thinking about why six or 700 people would come through that church that particular evening because my dad has been retired from ministry. He's been out of the pulpit for the last 10 years. He was very sick and in poor health at least the last four. And uh, my dad didn't live in a lavish house. He didn't really drive the latest and greatest uh, car. And in fact, uh, he still drove the car that uh, we gave him. It was a 1995 Lexus and it was an old model. And, and he, he wasn't known as a camp meeting speaker or preacher. He wasn't really known as a popular preacher. I got to thinking, why did five, six, seven hundred people come through that service that night? And, and I'm going to tell you why. Because even though my dad was flawed like we all are, he was a man of character. Amen. Amen. And here's the deal. He lived for something bigger than himself. I need you to listen to me here. His ministry, my dad's ministry, as I reflect on him, was all about helping others. His message was a message of restoration. He told me this one time. He said, Wayne, always when you go into a meeting with people, pardon me just a minute, that air is aggravating me. Can you cut it off, please? Thank you. He told me this, he said, Wayne, when you go into any meeting with any person, think restoration, not annihilation. Because it's very easy as people, and especially as Christians, and people that don't look like us, act like us, dress like us, think like us. If we're not careful, we can take our tongue and our attitude, and we can very easily annihilate people. We can make them feel bad with just a look. You start from their toes and you go to their head and then you cock your eyes and you give this non-approving look. And it's called rejection. And rejection is one of the worst emotions that a human can feel. And I know that most Christians don't mean it, but brothers and sisters, we do a lot of rejecting people because they don't wear our label and because they don't look like us. My dad taught me, Wayne, go into every meeting, son, thinking restoration, not annihilation. Because anyone can take their look, their tongue, their attitude and annihilate somebody. But not everybody can take a look and a touch and their tongue and restore someone. I want us to go back and I want us to look at our text. If you would... Put up 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to look at verse 17. Here's what the Bible says. Old things are passed away. How did that happen? It happened through what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. And then it goes on to, 
say, behold, all things become new. That means that our old way of life, right, has passed away. And now that you are a believer, you have new life. And then, and then the whole process of sanctification is to start thinking like God thinks. Is to start seeing your value based off of the way God values you. Your whole now being transformed is getting the culture out of your mind that you've been raised up in and getting God's thoughts in your mind and getting the stinking thinking of what the culture says is important and get what is really important. Seeing yourself as how your heavenly father values you. Can I get a witness in this house? And so then it goes on to say all of this is from God. What, what, is, what does that mean, all of this is from God? It means that your old life is gone and your new life has come, and this is from God. Then it goes on to say, who, look now, who, this is verse 18, all of this is from God, and then it goes on to say, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does reconcile mean? What it means is, is to restore relationships. We say, when we look in the Old Testament, I need a minute. Can I have a minute? When we look in the Old Testament, people say God was angry. He was. God was angry. What was he angry at? Man's sin. Yes, he was. And so he looked for a Moses to intercede for his people. He looked for a Samuel to intercede. He looked for various ones to stand in the gap. Why? Because God hates sin. But now, good news for you. The good news is, is that God has reconciled us through who? Through Jesus. Now, God is no longer angry. Why? Because he looks at what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. Because God put all of our sin all of his wrath upon Jesus and he became our substitute. So reconcile means to bring relations, to bring people together. God reconciled. How did he do it? Through his son, Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation what does that mean it means that you have a ministry what is my ministry pastor it is a ministry of reconciling people it is a ministry not of judgmentalism not of hate not of legalism it is a ministry of restoration you say I have a ministry according to this verse everybody that is a believer has a ministry what is my ministry? That is to restore people. What's my message? My message is to restore people. That's your message. Are you with me? You say, Pastor, I have a ministry. Yes, you do. What is it? To bring people to God. To restore relationships with people. I have a message. Yes, you do. What is it? To restore people back to God. Our world is broken, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all know it's the truth. You don't have to look far. Just look on your block. Somebody on your block is broken. Somebody's going through a divorce. 
Somebody needs healing. Somebody is hurting. Somebody is financially strapped. Somebody has kids that have gone crazy. You don't have to look very far. In everybody's world, something is broken. How do I restore people? I don't want to get up here and just tell you something. I want to show you. How do you restore people? How do I do it, pastor? Are you ready? I'm going to show you how. Number one, listen to people. One of the greatest things that you can do is sit down and listen to people. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. Sit down and listen to people. Take time to listen to them. And if you will take time to listen to them, they will start pouring their heart out to you. You don't have to have a PhD in psychology to help people. You say, how do you know that? Because I've been in an office a lot, a lot. And I've had people talk to me and I've tried to listen and I didn't even get to say anything and they looked at me and said, whoo, I already feel better. You know why? Because they're carrying burdens on the inside of them. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. What they needed to do is they just needed somebody to sit down and listen to them. That's how you start restoring people. You listen to them. Second of all, you look at them. When you look at somebody in the eye and give them your attention, you are giving them the best part of yourself. Hopefully, you can earn more money, but you can't earn more time. And when I give you my time, I am giving you my life. Look at them. Daddies, the best thing you can do for your kids is to look them in the eye and tell them who they are in Christ. Tell them that you love them. The best thing you can do for your wife is to set your little Easter keister down, look at her, and listen to her. Show her some attention. Come on. Here's the third thing. Learn from them. Do you know that I could sit down? I know that I could sit down and in 15 minutes, Carlton could teach me something that I don't know. You can learn from anyone if you're willing to humble yourself and listen. You can learn from anyone. I could probably learn some things on how to sell from Sister Carolyn. I could probably learn some things. I know I could on prayer and other things from Sister June. I could learn some things from Sam if I would just take the time to sit down and listen. That's how you restore people. You listen to them. You look them in the eye. You give them attention. You learn from them. And here's the last one. This is going to surprise you. You laugh with them. I'm going to tell you, I don't know about anybody else, but I know as Pentecostals, we ain't too good at laughing. Because we all so serious. Because that's how I was raised up. Mm-hmm. Y'all don't know how I was raised up. But I'm going to tell you something. Everything but fresh air was almost sin. Can I get some amens from somebody that know how I was raised up? Uh, laugh, that's folly. I work with a man I love him. He could pray two hours. I'm telling you, he could, he could pray two hours and I learned a lot from him. But I also work with him. And anytime I tried to bring a little humor because we drove together in the car, he'd be like, now, Brother Wayne, that's folly. 
That's folly. I said, would you please bear with me in my folly? Because you need a little laughter. Come on. You know, here's, here's a Pentecostal's famous verse. Did not Jesus say, take up your cross and follow him? This is just my burden to bear. I'm really sorry that we have misinterpreted that scripture all these many years. Jesus did in fact say that if anyone wanted to follow him, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Jesus did say that. But Pentecostals, please listen to your pastor. That verse does not mean the more miserable that you are, the more you suffer, the more you're like God. That's not what that means. What it means is, is we are to die to the sinful parts of who we are. We are to die to our lust and our pride and our arrogance. We are to die to our judgmentalism and our legalism. God never asked us to die to the healthy issues in our life of joy and music and laughter and, and, and the good things of God. He didn't ask us to die to that. Are you with me? When people like what they see, they will listen to what we have to say. But there's two reasons why people don't become a Christian. Number one, they've never met one, and two, they have. I'm just talking to us this morning. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm going to talk to you from my heart. We need the ministry of reconciliation. We have a message that will restore people back to health, back to life. The ministry of reconciliation that's your message that's your ministry I want us now to go and I want us to look at 2nd Corinthians 5 and 20 it says this therefore we are what ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us we implore you the writer here which is Paul is like I'm begging you I am pleading with you Christians on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God why do we need to be reconciled to God because when we have been reconciled to God then we can help reconcile others we can help restore others we can tell the story of God's grace in our own life I want you to know that once upon a time I was blind but now I see I want you to know that once upon a time, the bottle was my friend, but now Jesus is my friend. I want you to know that once upon a time, that needle, I had to have it, but now I gotta have Jesus. He thought I was worth saving. He thought I was worth dying for. So thank God. I wanna tell you how he restored me. You know who can help a drunk? An ex-drunk. You know who can help a drug addict? An ex-drug addict. You know who can help somebody that's been molested and raped and abused? Somebody that's gone through that horrible mess. That's why God wants you to take your story and use it for his glory. He don't want you to hide your pain in shame and say, well, I don't want anybody to know. 
You're not to tell all the gory details and times and dates and places and names. That's not what we're talking about. But paint with a broad stroke and say, listen, I know what it's like to be here and live this and to go through that. But I also know what it's like to be washed in his red blood and made whiter than snow. And I'm here to tell you that if God can do it for me, God can do it for you. That's your ministry. That's your message. Can I keep preaching? This is the fifth time if you look back at this passage of 2 Corinthians 5. Five times in three verses, I've done the math. Five times in three verses, it says reconcile, reconciliation, reconciliation, reconcile, reconcile. What is it saying? He's trying to get his point home. That God sent his only begotten son into the world. And just as God sent his only begotten son into the world, God is sending you into the world. Just as God in the person of Jesus Christ reconciled the world unto himself, God is saying, now you have that ministry. Now you have that message. Now what I want to do is I want to give a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I want to give people joy for their mourning. And I want to give them beauty for ashes. Can I tell you, some of you don't think this is all of that in a bag of chips. You know why? Because you've been under legalism and judgmentalism. But when you come out from that stuff, you're going to realize that this is a message of hope. We are the hope of the world. And that is a church that understands who we are in Christ. Can I get a witness? We are to be light in a darkness. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're God's advertisement. Tell them again, you're God's advertisement. How well are you doing? We are to be a city set on a hill. We are to be light in the darkness. We are to be salt in the earth. You know what? You don't have to take the salt shaker and just put it on your food like this. Man, I need... In fact, if you do that, you're not going to be able to eat that food. You just need a little bit of salt and it changes the flavor. Come on, just a little bit of light. You just take your phone. That's not a big old flashlight. It's just a little bit of light, but it can help you to see. You don't have to be all of that in a bag of chips. I want to preach to somebody right now. The enemy is trying to make you think, I got to have a PhD in theology to do something for God. The devil is a liar. Take your life. Take your past and use it for the glory of God. You have a message and you have a ministry and it's called reconciliation. Can I get a witness? The reality is that as citizens of the kingdom, we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors of the king. It's going to get quiet here. Are you ready? Here's the question I'd like to ask. Does your interaction with your neighbor rep represent and reflect that you are an ambassador of the king? When you go online on your phone and on your computer, does your interaction online and on your computer represent that you are an ambassador of the king? When you walk into a room, does it represent I am an ambassador of the king? I wish that I could take every one of you individually and just hug you, so to speak, in Christ and just say, Debbie, you are so valuable that you don't even realize how valuable you are. 
You know why you're valuable? Not because you're a nurse. That's great. That's just a label. But you are valuable because you are a child of God. You are valuable because you have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a message that God brought me from this. And now look, do I claim to be all that in a bag of chips? No, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And thank God that his hands upon my life. And thank God that he took something like me, like me. Can I preach this morning? Jeff, you wouldn't know this, but I'm going to tell you, once upon a time, I wanted to be a rock and roll drummer. Yes, I did. Y'all don't even know, but I knew how to play the drums. Maybe not that good, but I sure enjoyed it. I'd play in the choir. I'd play, boy, I'd love to play the drums. And I'm going to tell you, somebody heard about me and said, listen, will you come over and try out for this rock band? I said, oh, yeah. I play for Jesus on Sunday, but I'll play for the devil on Monday. Uh huh, because I was young and stupid. Right? And I thought about the fame of being on the stage like Journey. Don't stop believing. But I was saying, don't stop believing, Wayne. You can do this. Hold on to that feeling. Yeah, you can be on that stage. I love making y'all laugh. I'm a little dramatic and stupid, I know, but I just love making you laugh. Uh huh. I had visions of that. And guess what? I went for this crazy tryout. It was the worst I'd ever done. It was like I had two left feet. I mean, I couldn't play the drums to save my neck. I, don't, I, I know they didn't even play all their songs. It was like, if, ooh, this is pitiful. And I walked out, and I'm like, no lie. The Lord just reminded me. My hand's on you, son. Mm-mm. No, that may be somebody else's job, but that's not yours. Why? Because God's hands upon you. God's hands upon you. He has a ministry for you. And it may never be to get up on this pulpit and preach a Sunday morning sermon. But I'm going to tell you when you get up and you walk out and you go to your job tomorrow, you remind yourself. I'm telling you, put your head back, your shoulders straight and say, I am an ambassador of the king and his kingdom. And I want to be good advertisement for the Lord today. Mm. Oh, my Lord. Uh, mm. Mm. Can I just talk to us? i, I got to hurry, but if we're not reconciling people back to God, we're, we're, we're really not being the church. If we're not reconciling people back to God, we're really not children of God. You say, Pastor, all right, I'm with you so far. I believe everything you said. Thank you for that. How did I get this ministry of reconciliation? How did I get this message of reconciliation? You ready? How did you get it? Because of what he did for you at the cross. That's how you got this ministry. That's how you got this message. Go back to our text. I want you to look at something. Stay with me. Verse 21. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, here's what it says. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you get that? He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The key ideal here is a theological term 
and I don't try to use these much or I don't try to go into the Greek because that's I don't want to lose people okay but this is important this is a theological term that's called imputation you need to know this this is important for you to know imputation is a theological term that means to impute or to deposit something okay this is important so why is it important because what God did is he took all of the world's sins, the murders, the hate, the envy, the lust, the porn, all of the filth of the world, and he imputed that to Jesus on the cross. You say, how do you know that? We know exactly when it happened. You say, how? Because Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus, who never sinned, knew what sin was like because all of the sin from Adam to every sin that will ever be committed all came back to the cross. And it was imputed to him. But check this out. Why God imputed to Jesus every sin that will ever be committed he did the reverse for us. Ha. He took all of our filthiness, all of our lust and hate and prejudice and legalism and malice and strife and envy and everything you can name. And what he did is the great exchange. He took that from us and he imputed to us his righteousness. Now, when you get a revelation of that, it will change your life. It's one thing to know it. Some of you know it, okay? And I'm glad you know it. But when you ask God to give you a revelation of it, then you're going to realize, I'm not just a little old Christian here munching out my days waiting on Jesus to return. I'm more than that. I am an ambassador of the king. I have a ministry and I have a message. And that is to take what he imputed to me, his righteousness, and to share it with my world. Can I get a witness? So here it is, said in different language. In other words, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had committed every sin so that all believers could be seen by God as having lived Jesus's perfect life. Thank you. I'm going to say that again because that's heavy. Get this revelation. What did God do to Jesus on the cross? You ready? Here it is. He treated Jesus on the cross as if he had committed every sin. That all believers, that's you and I and the body of Christ, could be seen as living Jesus' perfect life. What does that mean? Then it means this, that all the crazy, stupid, and sinful things all of us have done, God no longer sees that when you are a believer. That is totally, completely wiped out from his mind. He chooses not to see it. Look at verse 21 again. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In that him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Here's what it means. 
that when God looks at me, he sees me as righteous. See, Pentecostals can't believe that. It's hard for us to see that because we've been taught, we've been taught that God's still angry with us. I'm telling you, God is not angry with you. He's not. Why is he not angry with me? Because of what Jesus did for you at the cross. God don't see you as the dumb things you've done. He sees you as righteous. Say, I don't feel righteous. It's not a matter of how you feel. It's what this word says. He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. Does that make sense? What he sees is Jesus' righteousness because Jesus' righteousness, why, pastor? Because it was imputed to you. Just as our sin was imputed to him, his righteousness was imputed to us. Now, I gotta wrap this up. Since we have been reconciled to God, what's my ministry? To be an ambassador of reconciliation. What's my message? To be an ambassador of reconciliation. I'm gonna wrap this up. Now, listen, seriously, for all of you that have a weak stomach, I'm being serious with you. What I'm fixing to tell you is gross. So listen, if you have a weak stomach, seriously, you might need to get up and go to the door because what I'm fixing to tell you is gross. I'm being serious. But this is going to illustrate my message. I know Christine does, so that's one of the reasons why I was telling her. Musicians, would you come? Just stay there where you can hear me, sis, but if you got to... Just stay there where you can hear me, but if I gross you out, at least you can run to the door and... Y'all ready? I want to illustrate something. This is, this is a true story. I read a story about a young boy. He lived in New York City, grew up in New York City, lived there all of his life. And his family had come on really hard times, very hard times. And so his, his grandfather had some rent houses down in Florida. And so the boy's dad came to him and said, listen, I can't find work. Uh, during that, during that time, New York City was really in a bad shape, bad way. He said, so we're going to have to move down to Florida in one of Grandpa's rent houses. So they did. Man telling the story, he was, he, he was a young boy. He said, we went into this rent house, and he said it was awful. It was like pitiful. I mean, just you can't even imagine how bad that this rent house was. He said, but we, we didn't have anywhere else to go. So he said, we went. We went there and we started living in this rent house. And he said, one day, he said, all the toilets backed up. And he said, sewage literally backed up from the toilets and overflowed into our house. He said, it was a mess. He said, my dad called his father and told him what was going on. And he's cussing and ranting and raving and screaming and all that. So the grandfather that owned the rent house came. And the little boy that was telling the story, his grandfather looked at him and he said, hey, son, he said, we're going to go into the backyard and uh, we got a little digging to do. So the little grandson was like, yeah, awesome. I get to dig in the backyard with my grandpa. It's going to be fun. So they start digging. They start digging. And the little boy hit something. He said, what's this, grandpa? He said, well, man, he said, just clean it off and let's see cleaned it off he said well open it up let's see what it is 
it was the septic tank and the little boy got a whiff of that and he said sweet mother of pearl what is this this is nothing but a big old box of poop in our backyard grandfather he's laughing he said yeah you're right he said that little metal iron piece that thing you got in your hand right there that we probed around to find this box he said I, I, I need you to do something with it and the little boy said yeah what you need he said there's a pipe and we gotta we gotta find that pipe and he said you gotta take that stick and you gotta unplug it so the little boy kneeled down got the iron stick started poking around trying to find that pipe he said grandpa he said he said I just can't find the right angle Papa started laughing he said well just kneel down I'm gonna grab you by your shirt but you got to find this you got to get this family business unstuck sure enough the little boy lost his footing and landed face first in all mm-hmm of his family's business I'm sorry to use this word but the little boy tells the story he said I promise to God this is true he said I was literally covered in poop covered in poop here's why I'm telling you the story you know what Jesus did for you? You know what a holy God who had never sinned had angels in heaven crying holy, holy, holy. You know what a majestic king and a spotless savior did for you? I'll tell you what he did. He took the septic and the sewage and the filth of mankind and he placed it upon himself so that he could exchange and give you a white robe of righteousness. Yes, he did. Can I get a witness? Yes, he did. Some of you are saying, Pastor, that's so nasty. Yes, it is. It's very nasty. But think about how God felt who was so pure and so holy and so majestic. And yet he was willing to get into the cesspool of mankind's sin so that he could trade garments with you and give you a robe of righteousness. Now, when I get, when I get that revelation of what Jesus has done for me, then guess what? I can be patient with the person who doesn't change so easily. I'm hurrying. When you get what Jesus has done for you, you can continue to love your neighbor who's a jerk. When you get what Jesus has done for you and you know your family member needs to leave it and let it go, but they can't leave it and let it go, you still have patience with them because you know how long God has been patient with you. I'm wrapping it up. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, it says this, For God's love compels us. For God's love compels us. 
Here's what, I, here's what I come to do this morning. I come to look all of you in your sweet little eyes and I've come to challenge you, listen to me, to live for something bigger than yourself. I've come to challenge everyone under the sound of my voice to live for something that is bigger than little OU. You know how 600, 700 people showed up at my daddy's funeral? I'll tell you how. Because he loved people. Wasn't a perfect man, but I can tell you this, he loved people. And he was very much for the underdog. And he loved to see Jesus take zeros and make heroes out of them. I could tell you story after story after story of men and women that my daddy invested in. And today, some of those people just blow your mind where God has taken them. We need to get a revelation that we have a ministry and we have a message. What is it? It is to restore the brokenness that is in our world. When you get a revelation of what Jesus has done for you, you know what you want to start doing? You want to give it away. You want to give it away. Right there where you are seated, I want you to bow your heads, please, and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take just a minute right where you are at, if you're a believer, I want you to take a minute and I just want you to reflect on something. In light of what I heard this morning, how are you representing Jesus and His kingdom? To my sweet brothers and sisters, to my, to my elders, to the young, to the old, I'm asking you a question as your pastor. How are you representing Jesus and His kingdom today? Here's the second question I want to ask you. Would you just dwell just a minute and dwell in your heart and in prayer on how you can better represent Jesus because of what He's done for you at the cross? How can I really represent Jesus better based off of what He did for me? And lastly, if you don't know the Lord this morning, I would encourage you right where you are is to just ask God, God, would you forgive me of all of my sins? All you got to do is mean that with all of your heart. And if you can ask God to forgive you of all of your sins, God, forgive me for the things I've said and done, places I've been. Would you forgive me, God? If you can do that, then guess what? After that, you can just start worshiping Him and ask Him, Lord, now that you have forgiven me, would you fill me with your presence? Would you baptize me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire so that I, Lord, can have a ministry and a message to restore others? Would you stand to your feet? Thank you for your time. I know I've gone a long time this morning. I don't like when I preach over 45 minutes, but... Carl, you may kill me after church, but it's all right. Come up here.
I'm sorry, I'm putting you on blast. Come up here. You know what Carl is? I'm going to tell you what he is. One of the things he is, is he is an encourager. Because almost every week, he'll text me and say, Pastor, that was an amazing message. And there's times I leave here, I don't feel like it was amazing. I'm like, dear God, Wayne, you've been preaching 30 years. That was horrible. But my friend here says, that ministered to me. That's amazing. You know why I know he's a Christian? Because he doesn't just do that to me, but on his mail route. I can guarantee you on his mail route, there's people that are waiting to see Carl. Because Carl is going to have a word of encouragement. And he's going to encourage somebody. And he's going to lift somebody up. Yep. You know why? Because that's who he is. I told Carl. I said, Carl, listen to me. I don't say this to everybody because I, I couldn't. I couldn't go on vacation with a lot of people because they'd drive me crazy. I couldn't. And I don't. I could go on vacation with Carl. I could. You know why? Because he's an encourager. Because he loves people. He's not judgmental. He's not legalistic. I know I put you on blast, Carl, but I want you to know that even preachers need friends. And even preachers need somebody to say, hey, I'm lifting you up. I'm praying for you. No, you don't get out that easy, Carl. You come up here. That was a good try. Good try. You know what happened when Moses was up on the mountain? He needed somebody to lift his hand up. Because when Aaron and Hur lifted his hands up, the battle was won. You know who Carl is? Carl comes alongside me and lifts my hands up. That's who he is. I know I'm holding you so long and I do apologize, but let me tell you something. You know what people are looking for? They're not looking for you to walk out of this house and judge them. They're not looking for you to walk out of this house and be legalistic with them and tell them everything they're doing wrong. What they're looking for is somebody that will come and say, you know what? I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to just listen to you. Carl, here's another thing about Carl. He's a good listener. Yes, he is. He's a good listener. He'll look you in the eye. He'll laugh with you. I've learned from Carl. Is he just a man? Sure, he's just a man. You want to restore people? Listen to him. Look them in the eye. Learn from them and then laugh with them. It's all right, Christians, to laugh. Because if they like you, they'll listen to you. But nobody likes a sourpuss Christian. Nobody likes a judgmental Christian. We have a ministry. What is it? It's called restoration. What are we to be doing? Restoring people back to God. Helping them. Lifting them up loving them well pastor they don't look like me 
God didn't make you the standard of beauty. I'm going to say it again. They don't look like me. God did not make you the standard of beauty. And he didn't tell you that you had to save anybody. He said, love God and love people. I'm the Savior. You love them. You lift them. You listen. You look them in the eye. Laugh with them. If they like going to a ball game, I'm not saying those of you that got conviction against ball games should go, but you know what? I'll go to a ball game so that I can help be a witness to somebody so they can just see I'm just human just like they are. Why? Because what I'm hoping is, is that door of opportunity is going to come open. And then I'm going to be able to talk to them about the power of Jesus and what he can do in their life and how he can heal them and save them. Y'all been way too good to me today. Carl, I love you. Stay up here. Don't go. Now I'm going to ask you. Did you get what was said today? If you did, raise up both hands and ask the Lord now to help us. Come on, all over this house, open up your heart, open up your mouth, and right now tell God, God, help me. Help me to take this ministry that I have. Help me to take this message that I have. Come on, believers. We're the hope of the world.